Welcome to Ask Away with Vince and Joe Vitale and hosted by Michael Davis. Vince and Joe Vitale are currently leading the Zacharias Institute. Both hold doctorates from the University of Oxford, Vince in philosophy, and Joe in women in the Old Testament. In a world that increasingly sees the Christian faith is irrational and irrelevant, it is more important than ever for believers to be prepared to give a defense for the faith. Ask Away is brought to you by Robbie Zacharias International Ministries. It's time to Ask Away. Hello and welcome to another episode of Ask Away with Vincent Joe Vitale. I am your host, Michael Davis. Modern culture has many types of attacks against God, yet rarely have people with such great regularity seen it to be okay to besmirch the character of God as they do today. In fact, many who would seek to disprove the Christian God would not only say that he is illogical, but that if he was real, he would be contemptible. How should we respond to unbelievers who would say that our God is not good and is in fact evil, unworthy of worship? But before we get started, Joe, could you tell us a little bit about our upcoming Refresh Conference? I certainly can. I am so looking forward to it. In July, we have our Refresh Ready for College conference here in Atlanta at the Zacharias Institute. The dates will be the 24th to the 27th of July. And this is basically a conference for uh, juniors who are heading into their senior year or seniors who are heading off to college. So if you're 17 or 18 or maybe even 19 years old, um, then do come along. And the purpose of the week is to help equip students who are heading off to college who are going to be facing all kinds of challenges from their peers who don't understand why they are Christian, who think it's ridiculous. And our kind of motto for the week is no question is off limits. So come with whatever question you have, whatever you're struggling with. Um, our team promises to help answer those questions, but also not only to answer your questions, but help you learn how do I articulate my faith? How do I show people the beauty and truth of Christianity? How do I am becoming a, co a compelling witness for Christ on campus? So I do encourage you to come along if you're in that age group. Sorry if you're older than that, you you can't come, um, but send anybody you know who who fits that category. It's really fun. We get through a lot of questions throughout the week. We use something called pigeonhole, which means you can ask your question uh, with your phones, either with your name or you can just do it anonymously. And then you can vote on all the other questions that have been submitted. And we promise to answer whatever questions get the most votes. So the students who come really direct the content of the week. And therefore, we hope we're hitting the questions that are most relevant to them. And some of those questions are incredibly interesting. I think what was the, the, the question last year that got the most votes? Uh, which which is better, a bear or five ducks or something like that? Yeah, and if you ask that question, we will answer that <laughs> yeah, question we, we did. as we did. well. Absolutely answered <laughs> it. I wouldn't say we answered it well, but we had we'll a stab a go. at it. Yeah. <laughs> Kind oh. of like how today's going to go. Oh, yes. The, these questions are going to be interesting. Um, and uh, th this first question, I'm just going to jump right into it because uh, there's no way to, to sugarcoat this one. And I, I would like to, to start by saying how much uh, we appreciate mm. just the, the, the straightforwardness of these questions. But I'll go into it. This one, first one is from Daniela H. Um, how can you love a God who is always after his own glory and who, in fact, created you for his own glory? It's quite obvious that he created and redeemed and dealt with people for his own glory and for the praise of his glory from Ephesians 1.12, isn't it? How can you love such a self-centered, glory-craving God? That is such a wonderful question. Thank you, Daniela, for, for asking it. Um, 
I think it's one a lot of people struggle with, actually. It's one I really struggled with as a teenager um, because you're right. I used to come across all these verses in scripture that talk about everything being for God's glory. And and um, maybe it's partly because I'm, I'm British and in England, we kind of like to understate everything. You know, even if you do something really well, you don't say you did it well. You, you kind of talk about how awful you were. So for me as an English person, reading the Bible at times, I would come across these verses and, and I would, I would be like, why God, why is this all about your glory? And, um, I sort of wondered, is God narcissistic? I, I looked up the definition of narcissism and it's extreme selfishness with a grandiose view of one's own talents and a craving for admiration as characterizing a personality type. And it's a good question. Is God egomaniacal? Is he narcissistic? What is going on uh, in the Bible? But uh, a few different things to say to this question that sort of helped me as I've thought it through over the years. And I think one of them is just to say that we have to remember God is not like any other human being. You know, any other human being you meet who's all about their own glory, um, it's a very off-putting characteristic and trait. But with God, he's the only one about whom all the superlatives are actually true. Yeah. Like he's actually in a completely different category to us. He is so far beyond us. He's the one who is actually worthy of praise and actually worthy of glory. And um, I... One of our students at the Zacharias Institute the other day um, was sharing about something he'd heard on the radio where he'd basically heard somebody say um, that God's in control. It's his universe. You may think you're in control, but you don't have a universe. And I just thought that's just such a good way to put it because we we sit here and we're like, who is God to deserve the glory? And it's like, hello, I'm the one who made everything. I made the universe. I made you. I gave you life. Like if anyone actually deserves glory, it's God. But I still get... The, the, the kind of the heart behind the question isn't, well, maybe God deserves it, but why does he seek it? Um, I think is maybe more of what's going on because it may be that he deserves it all, but why does he seem to be concerned about getting glory? And, um, and one of the things that really helped me when I was sort of processing through this question is not just the fact that actually God completely deserves it. And I think when we get to heaven, no one is going to be there disputing whether or not God deserves all the praise <laughs> and all the glory and everything that we've got. But, um, but, but actually, God being Trinity really makes a difference here as well. Because I think if if you just have one person who is God, then actually there's a sense in which in order for him to have anything and to have have uh, glory and to have love, he needs it from creation. He needs it. He would be dependent on us in some way. But actually, because he's Trinity, God is completely fulfilled in and of himself. He doesn't need us to give him praise and glory in order to feel satisfied or complete. It's not like he's he's needy or insecure in some way actually god is god is um perfectly happy within himself father son and holy spirit they love each other eternally and i far from being selfish i think god in his very being because he's love is actually the least selfish person imaginable he's completely selfless yeah. you know you see the the son giving glory to the father and and the the father raising up and glorifying the son and the spirit testifying to both and they're all about the other they're not about themselves um, it's about making sure that the other um, gets the glory that they deserve because they're worth it, because they're amazing. And just to give you an example of this, and then I'll shut up and let someone else talk. But um, I, when Vince and I first got married, um, we'd, we'd been married a couple of months and um, I was sitting in a meeting with some people and 
Um, and Vince wasn't there. And somebody kind of off the cuff made a throwaway comment about Vince that they didn't even really mean. And it was spoken out of insecurity within them. And everyone in the room knew it wasn't true. But nevertheless, it was kind of offensive about him. And and I remember being really Probably upset. <laughs> no, definitely, it definitely wasn't. <laughs> um, trust me, I'm not saying Vince is flawless. But in this case, it was not true. Um, and I sat there both feeling really, I felt really frustrated that someone had said this about him because it, it was actually slander. It was actually a lie. Um, but also being British and not good at conflict, uh, the conversation moved on really fast and I didn't say anything. And afterwards I walked away and I was mad, both at the thing that had been said that was untrue of Vince because it wasn't it wasn't worthy of him. It wasn't true. But also I was mad at myself because I didn't stand up for him. And I actually, I think my point here is that when you love somebody, you want them to get the honour that they actually deserve. You want truth to be known about them and spoken of them. That's what love does. And I think that is what we see within the Trinity. We see a God of love, a God who is selfless, but desires for truth to be known about the other members of the Trinity. And what is the truth? The truth is that God is amazing and he's loving and he's perfect and he's awesome and he deserves the glory. And 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 I think that is why God is God is about glory. Thanks for wanting to stick up for I me. I did, dear. I did. You Even know, if you and, didn't. And, and if I want to stick up for Vince, how much more God? <laughs> <laughs> Amen to that. <laughs> I, I think I think you you make a really important distinction there. Is God's glory selfish or is it selfless? Uh, and and I, I totally agree with what you said, you know, Michael and Joe, Daniela, thank you for this question. Uh, it's honest, it's it's direct, and that's really what we want on this show. So we're really grateful to get these kind of questions in particular. And you referenced Ephesians one twelve. So I went back and read uh, the beginning of that chapter, and, and I might just read a bit of it, starting at verse 3, because I think the context really helps. The, the portion that you quoted was, "...for the praise of his glory." And I think Joe's right that the question is, uh, is this a self-centered glory or is it a selfless uh, glory? And so this is what the text says. I'll just read it through uh, slowly and and give a couple of remarks. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then it says, Who has blessed us. So that's the initial context to who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And then it says, for he chose us, that intentionality of choosing us, desiring us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Then it says, in love, so this is out of love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship, so that desire of relationship and intimacy with us for our good through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us. So to the praise of his glorious glory, but his glorious what? His glorious grace, that unmerited free gift given to another in the one he loves, in whom we have redemption through his blood. So they are referencing the fact that he would be willing to die for us out of that love for the forgiveness of sins. Again, that incredible gift to us of the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Again, that unmerited gift to another that he has lavished on us. And then skipping down a bit, we get to the portion that uh, you quoted. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. 
So I, I just think the context really helps there. Yes, we are for the praise of his glory, but if you read that passage in context, it is saying that his glory is all about the grace that he has lavished on us by being willing to give, in, to give his life for us, by choosing us in love before the creation of the world, by adopting us to sonship. So this is not in any way a selfish glory. This is a selfless glory that has the other in mind, and that is particularly why God is so great. So I think it's a great question you ask. I think you went to exactly the right passage, uh, and I think this is a good reminder to all of us that reading the scriptures in context is really helpful. This references glory. The rest of the passage tells us what type of glory it is. And I think so often, you know, you hear people say, well, A, Christians are really arrogant, and I'm so sorry if you've experienced an arrogant Christian. Um, And, you know, we can all really mess up in those ways. But also people think, well, this is an arrogant God as well. But actually, uh, the place I always go to when I think about who is this God and what is this character really like um, is the verse in... um, in Philippians where it says Jesus didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped but he humbled himself he lowered himself um, even unto death on a cross and to me that just says it all this isn't a God who's all about putting himself higher than everybody else this is a God who loved us so much that he would lower himself that is the truth of his character that is who he is he's a God who would come down and die um, in in shame and humiliation and 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 brutal pain on a cross just so we could know him. And why? Because God just doesn't just desire um, that we give him glory, but actually he even shares his glory yeah, with us. Amen. Exactly. And isn't that astonishing that he creates us in his image so that we could be a part of that? You know, he was perfectly happy in and of himself as God. He didn't need to create anyone, but he doesn't do that out of a need. He does it out of out- overflowing love in order to draw us into relationship with him so that we too might be with him, might experience that glory in that life. And, to me, that is such generosity. Yeah. I really like this John Piper quote. Um, God is the one being in the universe from, for whom self-exaltation is not an act of needy ego, but an act of infinite giving. The reason God seeks our praise is not because he won't be fully God until he gets it, but that we won't be happy until we give it. This is not arrogance. This is grace. This is not egomania. This is love. God knows that if we don't give him the glory and the praise, that we are going to give ourselves the glory and the praise. And that is a road that is that does not lead to joy and does not lead to happiness, but a road that will ultimately lead away from the person who is the source of joy and happiness. Everything God does, everything that is happening is for his glory, but... That glory, and you you hit the nail on the head on this, is a glory that he just amazingly decides to share with us. It is just it is, it, and this should give us joy. We shouldn't we shouldn't think of God as a as, as a spoiled kid saying, "I'm going to take my football home." He is he is sharing his football, um, and it is. What if you didn't like playing football? Okay, well, how about like soccer football? Not not. Uh, yeah, I wasn't very good at that either. Okay, but okay, it's okay. Your analogy is okay. But there is nothing about God's glory that is that is egomaniacal or, or or anything like that. It is it is just a. It is well. I mean, I'm going to repeat what John Piper said. This is not arrogance. This is grace. This is not egomania. This is love. Yeah, I think that's. Spot on. And I was reminded, you know, the other part of this question was, how could you love such a God? And, uh, you know, I was reminded of that this past weekend. One of our colleagues was sharing a story in a talk that he was giving 
and uh, he was in a taxi uh, not long ago, and he got talking with the driver, and the driver uh, told this uh, terrible story of how his son got addicted to uh, drugs uh, and wound up in jail, and the father went and and saw a lawyer, and, and a very good lawyer said, I can get him out of jail, but this is what it's going to cost. And what it was going to cost was pretty much everything that the father had. And so the father sold everything that he could possibly sell to pay the lawyer who then got the son out of jail. Uh, and two days later, the son started using drugs uh, again and uh, wouldn't speak with the father. They were still living in the same home because it's the only shelter that he had, but they were estranged uh, relationally. And to your point, Michael, that son will never be happy until he recognizes what his father has done for him and says thank you and says I'm sorry and steps back into relationship with him. The father's longing for the son is out of love for him and it's out of a desire for the best for his son. Uh, and my colleague was able, our colleague was able to say to that um, taxi driver, uh, do you know the story of the prodigal son? And he didn't, and he told that story of the father who runs after the son and he asked him, do you know who told that story? He didn't. He said that Jesus did. He said, do you know who Jesus was referring to when he told that story of a father? And he said he was referring to God. And the man broke down in tears because he knew something of God's heart, of that longing to run uh, after his son. So that is the God that we love. That is the God that we worship. That's not a self-centered or selfish God, but it's a God that, that runs after us because we need him so badly and he desires the best for us. I was um, listening to a worship song this morning that just kind of perfectly said it. So I just want to read you a couple of verses from it. And John Piper and Hillsong, this is a strong day for us here in the studio. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but these are the lyrics. Don't it tell says, on us. <laughs> <laughs> it says this, says, um, God of creation, there at the start, before the beginning of time, with no point of reference, you spoke to the dark and fleshed out the wonder of light. And as you speak, a hundred billion galaxies are born. In the vapor of your breath, the planets form. If the stars were made to worship, so will I. I can see your heart in everything you've made. Every burning star, a signal fire of grace. If creation sings your praises, so will I. God of salvation, you chased down my heart through all my failure and pride. On a hill you created, the light of the world abandoned in darkness to die. And as you speak, a hundred billion failures disappear where you lost your life so I could find it here. If you left the grave behind you, so will I. I can see your heart in everything you've made, every part designed in a work of art called love. If you gladly chose surrender, so will I. And to me, that's that kind of says it all, like the glory of God that he made the whole universe and everything in it. And yet the just the, the, the selflessness of God who would um, come and die on a hill he created for us. To me, that that is the God that I love and, and that's why I love him. I think Piper would have approved of this. Yeah, I think he'd be really, okay. I think he'd be fine with that. Woo. Bringing people together here. Absolutely. Yeah. Like Piper and Hillsong. So, and for those of you guys who don't know about that, don't worry don't about worry. it. <laughs> okay, this actually goes into uh, the second question. And this, uh, this question is kind of heartbreaking, but I, I'm going to read it to you. It's from Joyce M. How can a praying mother respond to these words from her son? I just wish people could recognize how horrible the God of the Bible is. He is an egomaniacal, jealous, and vindictive character. In fact, the story of the Bible is much more interesting when you consider God as the villain. 
Boy, what really breaks uh, our hearts to uh, read that. And uh, Joyce, thank you for being a praying mother. Uh, thank you for praying. Uh, I'm, I'm really glad that that's your first response uh, in this instance. And uh, please know that when we get a question like this, uh, we're going to be praying with you as well. Uh, we're going to make sure that the whole team here is praying uh, alongside you. Um, and if I could just put this out there as well, uh, you know, I'm sure each of us will have more to say to the question, but if I could just say up front, we love to speak with people who are asking that sort of question, especially young people who are asking those sorts of questions, because we think so often people have heard something, they've heard rumors about God's character that are not uh, true. They've seen verses that are taken out of context, maybe by someone like uh, Richard Dawkins, that in context means something uh, very different. Uh, and if your son would like to speak with one of us, uh, if he'd like to speak with someone who has spent many years uh, thinking through the Bible and studying the Bible uh, as it relates to the character of God, that would absolutely be our privilege. I recognize that may not be the best course of action uh, because you know we're strangers uh, to him, but just keep that in mind. If at any point you think that's the right next step, please just email in. You can email to the same uh, email that you emailed your question into, and we'd count that a real privilege and an honor uh, to speak with your son. But thank you for praying uh, for him. We will do that as well. I would say first and foremost, ask questions. You know, Those words are coming from some sort of emotional hurt. I have to believe that that's the case. Uh, and I would just ask questions like, why do you think that? Uh, why do you wish people could recognize that? Uh, about God. Where did you get those ideas in the first place? Is there something specific that you've read? Be quick to listen and slow to speak. I know that's so difficult when you might want to change his mind as quick as possible, but I would say be quick to pray, quick to listen, slow to speak, ask as many questions as you can. Almost ask questions until finally he asks a question um, of you. Uh, and just see if you can understand what the question is behind the question, what the motivation is for those words. That will put you in such a better position to be able to speak to them. And one resource you might also find helpful as you yourself are thinking through how would I answer this question is Paul Copan's Is God a Moral Monster? I just think it's a wonderful book and um, kind of digs into a lot of these uh, accusations and challenges against God's character. So that would be a good place to go, I think, when you're thinking this through. Um, also, I think Vince uh, gave a model of this really well just earlier in the episode. Where, you know, when your son says things like this against the character of God, ask him to t to tell you where he sees that in the Bible, and then get into that text with him. So Vince did it earlier with Ephesians one verse twelve, because so often, and we've said it before, I'm sure we'll say it again as well. It, a lot of it is coming down to context and understanding what exactly is is going on um, in Israel's history at this point in time which will really help to make sense of, you know, why some of the passages we find so difficult, um, are, are even there in the Bible in the first place, what is God doing? What is going on? Um, I would also want to say that, you know, sometimes it's just a, a case of really thinking, well, what do some of these words mean? So, for example, our first question on this podcast, I think we really spoke about the question of, is God egomaniacal? But let's look at the second uh, thing your son said, that, that God is jealous. And I think... Um, you're right. He's right. God is jealous. He describes himself as a jealous God in the Bible. But but part of it is just going to be asking, what does it mean when God says that he's jealous? Because I think in our culture, we have so many negative connotations about that word. And jealousy can be 
a very destructive and harmful thing. But jealousy can also be a very good thing. And actually, the way that the word is often used in scripture, uh, the root behind the word is this idea of warmth or heat, a passion, the fact that you care deeply about somebody. And I think the way that God uses that word in the Bible is is not like a God who's lashing out in a rage because he's not getting the attention he wants and he's throwing a tantrum. But this is a God who's zealous um, over a love relationship. He's It's like a husband who cares passionately about his wife and wants the best for her, wants her to flourish and therefore is rightly jealous if you see somebody making bad choices that is actually going to wind up harming both the relationship and that person. And that's the kind of jealousy that we're talking about when God says that he's a jealous God. Um, I also think that sometimes we think of God as vindictive in in some of the the, uh, events that we see in the Old Testament, but I think that's in part because... um, we we assume he's he's being over the top that actually he's 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 kind of petty that he cares way too much about the little things that just aren't, really aren't a big deal. But could it be possible that actually it's the other way around and it's not that um, God is overvaluing things, but actually that we radically undervalue them. That sometimes the things we think are no big deal are actually a huge deal to God. I mean, I sometimes think of the fact that you know there are some really severe laws in the Old Testament around committing adultery, for example, and people say, well, that is just way over the top. Um, you know, someone someone could be put to death for committing adultery. Um, whereas you look at our culture today, and you know, you can be put in, in prison. It's a crime to steal a TV, um, but that there's no big deal if you commit adultery. That's not a criminal offence. There's no legal punishment for doing that. And yet, um, which one is is more valuable? And I think God has it the right way around that actually God values people over property. God cares deeply about the damage that we do to each other. And I think we could all agree way more damage is done when you commit adultery than when you steal someone's television. So I think sometimes we have things the wrong way around. But what we often find in the Bible is is we're getting a glimpse of the heart of God and of justice. It's not being vindictive. It's caring about justice. It's caring about love. It's caring about life as it's supposed to be lived. And so often what I'll do when I come across a verse that I struggle with and I think, why is this here? God, this seems really out of character. This seems, you know, why do you care so much about this? Before leaping to conclusions and making assumptions about, oh, God's being petty or vindictive, I'll always ask myself, okay, what is being protected here? What is it that's so important to God that this was the consequence? And often when you turn it around like that, you come to see, oh, wow, there's something really important here that I hadn't understood. But it's not that God doesn't care. It's that God cares so much more about us. And therefore, that's why sometimes he preserves and protects things that we think just aren't a big deal. That's great. And the one other thing I would say here is just to start with Jesus. Jesus is the fullest revelation of who God is. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, if Jesus isn't who he claimed to be, then all of the other challenging passages in Scripture that there may or may not, from your son's perspective, be a way uh, to think through, it doesn't matter. Uh, so I would say if you can encourage him to start with Jesus and say, look, this is a man who when he was strung up on a cross and was being killed, the instinctive words out of his mouth were, Father, forgive them. Mm-hmm. You know, those are not the words of a vindictive person. Those are not the words that would be coming out of my mouth uh, at that point and probably not most people's as well. So I would say start with Jesus. Uh, and I really think if you can find someone who is your son's age, who your son respects and who loves God and loves the Scriptures, that would be a great step. You as a parent, you may or may not have that open door to speak directly into the issue. That depends on the nature of of the relationship and exactly where your son is at. But I would say if you could find someone 
uh, that he respects, that loves God and that loves the scriptures, that he can talk to about this, that would be uh, fantastic. And I think if you can just do everything you can to keep the relationship strong, uh, and that is difficult, even when you're disagreeing about something so important to not in any way make your son feel like they are uh, outside of the family or loved or valued any less for the fact that they're believing things that you very much disagree with. And in that, you're following the example of God himself, who loved us so much that he would come to die for us, even when we believed against him, even when we were acting uh, against him. So keep the relationship strong. See if you can find someone for him to speak to. We are very much available for that if that is ever uh, the right approach, and we will absolutely be praying for you as well. As a word of encouragement, uh, as a non-believer, uh, I used to make these same arguments. Um, so no one is uh, beyond God's redemption. Um, actually, God takes a lot of joy in proving people like me and uh, people like your son wrong. Well, that is all the time we have today. Vince, sum it up for us. Well, first of all, again, we're just so grateful for these questions. Please keep sending them in, uh, if whether it's you yourself or whether it's someone you know who's genuinely struggling with questions about who God is and what God has done. Those are the questions we love to receive because we love leading people as we have been led by others to see God for who he is and ultimately to be in relationship with him. Really, these have been questions about the character of God. Is he someone who is worth following? And there's so much to say on that question, but when you boil it down, when he was faced with the choice, when Jesus was faced with the choice of either his death or our death, he chose his death. And when I put myself in that position and say, you know, the first person that I see at work in the morning, the next person that I happen to walk by on the street, if I'm faced with either my death or their death, what am I going to choose? Jesus knew that that was the choice, and he chose his death out of love for us. And it's in the context of that that we understand all of the scriptures and we understand our relationship with him, and that's why we trust him above all. Well, guys, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you all for listening, and we will catch you next week. To find out more about our ministry or to donate, visit our website at rzim.org. If you're listening in Canada, that website is rzim.ca.